We're in the book of Colossians. We started last week, and I've themed the book of Colossians, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Christ is supreme over all as the Son of God, as, as God himself. And his work on the cross is sufficient to save you, more than sufficient. So that's the supremacy and sufficiency. Today we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. But let me start with this. What if today, have you ever thought about if you could live your life over? Okay. So that, that was a little too quick, Michelle. I'm not sure. Um, um, but we can't, can we? We can't. It's, it's, a nice, it's a nice thought experiment. But what if I said, okay, today you get all the resources you need to start a new life. What would be in that new life? Keep it to yourself. But, but, you know, the idea of, okay, I get to start over and I have the resources I need. A brand new life. What would you do? Well, today from Colossians, I want to talk about the fact that actually you have a new life. Christ has given it to you. And it's really, even though that phrase new life isn't the actual wordings, wording of Colossians, I think it's a, a phrase that summarizes the whole book and our passage today in particular, verses, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Let me, I'm going to read to you verses 12 to 14, which will be the last section we talk about today. And again, this whole section is um, of one long sentence. You know, the, whole, the whole section is one long sentence in Greek that we have to divide up in English. But verse 12, I'm dropping in the middle of the sentence. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So keep that word light in mind. He has delivered us, here's the new life, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We, we will talk more about this at the end of the message, this idea of there's a transfer, though, there's an identity change, categorical change. I used to belong to the domain of darkness, but Christ comes along and, and by, by believing in him, reaching out and grabbing a hold of him and saying, save me, Jesus, we've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son which is the kingdom of light, from darkness to light. This is important. This is a brand new life. We don't live in the gray in between. The old life is gone. It's not my identity anymore. We'll talk about that a lot in this, in this book. But I have a new life in the kingdom of God, actually the kingdom of Jesus. So I want to start with the end. That's the end. Now, this paragraph, as I said, is a long sentence, one long sentence. Paul loves to do long sentences. And in English, we don't like that. I mean, how many of you in grammar school or in high school, whenever it was, do they even have grammar school anymore? Do they even use that phrase anymore? Did I just date myself? Um, that's, you have a run-on sentence there, Mr. Slavin, and I'm still guilty of them today. Well, I'm nowhere guilty as Paul is. He just goes on and on and on. And I want to be able to explain to you this sentence that Paul writes from 9 to 14. And um, it's a series of dependent clauses that just build upon each other. And it's hard to follow the thought sometimes. And I use the ESV, the English Standard Version, which tends to be literal. So sometimes you go, why, why this long sentence? So I want, I want you to understand this because it's important today that we, we dive into this. And this is where some of you are going, oh, great. 
Here comes the grammar geek. And I, I need you to, to, to hang with me. I, I want to I read you a sentence that is a very simple sentence, okay? And I want to read this. This is a very simple sentence that we're not having today. This is actually Hebrew. This is the book of the, this is the books of the Old Testament are written in a simple language. I ran out of milk and I rode my bike to the store to buy some. And I walked up to the cooler and grabbed two gallons. And I paid for them in the checkout counter. That's just independent clauses connected by the word and. I wish our Bible was that simple. Paul is not that simple. And I want to read to you that same concept into a way Paul would write it. Because that's today what we're going to look at. I want to walk you through the, the complexity of Paul's paragraph, how important it is for our new life. So this is how Paul would write that sentence. When I discovered that I had run out of milk, I decided to go to the supermarket to buy some. But having tried to start my car, I discovered the battery was dead because someone left the cabin light on inside the car. As a result, I had to ride my bike uphill due to the fact that I lived in the valley and the store was the top of the hill. That's one sentence. So you English teachers would say what? Run on sentence, cut it down to two or three. And, well, I want to show you today how this run-on sentence of Paul is a development of thought. This may be a failed experiment today. I can tell by the glass in your eyes about halfway through if I failed or not. But for me, it's important to try and explain this because, so, so if you would, pull out your, bullet, pull out your, your um, insert. This is my way of getting you to look at it so we don't throw it away. We're going to look at Paul's prayer today. Paul prays for the Colossian church. And I've written this outline to summarize this big sentence. So look at the point there. Here's how it starts. To know God's will is to grow in knowledge and understanding of Christ's person and work. And this results in living a new life that is worthy and pleasing before the Lord. And this new life is described as a fruitful ministry, a closer relationship with God, an increased power to live the life we are called to live, and a joyous gratitude to our God, our Father, who qualified us for this new life. Then Paul starts a new sentence that the foundation for this new life is understanding the tectonic shift in your new identity. That's what I just read to you. So I want to walk you through these, this outline from this passage to show you this new life you have and how you live it with joy, not with a burden. Will you hang with me? Okay. The content of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Paul loves to pray for his, his churches. The first summary of his content is he wants them to know God's will. To know God's will is to grow in knowledge and understanding of Christ's person and work. To know God's will is to grow in knowledge and understanding of Christ's person and work. So those two words, knowledge and understanding, are very important. Listen to chapter 1, verse 9. So, from the day we heard of your faith, because remember, Paul did not preach the gospel in Colossus, someone else did. And Paul is now writing back to them because he hears his problems. From day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we're praying for you that you're filled with the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
the words knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, I want you to see they're important in Paul's writings in this book. All three of those words. So when talking about filled with the knowledge of his soul, when you think, oh, do you know God's will for your life? Could you answer that? What's God's will for you? Don't, don't, don't answer it, but could you answer it? Because here, here's what it is. I don't think he's talking about the individual will for you. When he's praying here that you would have an understanding, a growth in knowledge of his will, you see, we, we as Westerners, and this is the result of the last couple hundred years of, of, of after the enlightenment, of the individual is the most important thing. And so if, if I as an individual am more important than the community, then what's God's will for me? So where do I go to college? Where do I work, God? Who do I marry? How many children do I have? We sometimes present those as the details of God's will for you. And that's not how the New Testament describes God's will. First of all, there's nothing wrong with asking God for all those things. He cares deeply about every detail of your life. But when the Bible talks about do you know God's will, it's about, in the book of Colossians, the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. This passage is saying God wants us to grow in a knowledge and understanding of the person of Christ. That is his will, what he's done in Jesus. And I want you to drop down with me. If, oh, by the way, and ushers, I apologize. Are the ushers still in here? Does anyone need a Bible? If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring you a Bible. I should have done this at the beginning. So if you read the Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring you a Bible. If you drop down to chapter 1, verse 27, you see this idea of knowledge again. It says, you know, to them, that is to, to the, the, the Christians, God chose to make known, that's the knowledge, same word, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is this knowledge of God's will? Do you understand? God's will is for you to understand Christ is in you. He is in you. If you watched my video this last week that I put out on midweek, um, Paul usually talks about the spirits in you. But the book of Colossians emphasizes Christ is in you. And the fact that Christ is in you is the hope of glory. I.e., he'll finish the job he started and bring you to glory. A couple of verses later in chapter 2, verse 2, he's, he's referring to the letter he wrote to the church of Laodicea. That, that So send this letter I'm writing to you, Colossus, to the church of Laodicea, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I'm going to go back to verse 9 now to get an understanding here of what this will is. And Paul says in verse 9, So from the day we heard of your faith and love, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is to know and understand with wisdom the Savior, Jesus Christ. To know the supremacy of his person. For you to live the life he's called you to live, you must understand who your Savior is. And to know the sufficiency of his work on the cross. Much of Colossians, as we start next week in verse 15, all the way through the end of chapter 2, is all about who is this Jesus? And what did he do for you on the cross? What was the results of the cross in your life? That's the will of God for us, to know those things. So, knowing this 
knowledge and wisdom about who Christ is and understanding results in living a new life that is worthy and pleasing before God. So I want, I want you to stop there for a minute. I'm going to read from here verse 10. The idea of living worthy and pleasing. Let me start with this caveat. Often we are told that you've come to faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Is that true? We're going to see that at the end of this passage. It's a glorious truth. Um, but you know, you're still going to just struggle with sin all the time. And um, you're going to see commands like live a worthy life, but you really can't. Just make sure you ask for forgiveness a lot. That, that's what I was told as a new believer. When you read all those passages about live holy and all that, you can't do it really, Tony. Just ask for forgiveness a lot. So guess what I did? I failed a lot and said, oh, forgive me, God. And frustration, a lot of frustration the first couple of years of my life. And then I learned about this new identity, this new life given to me. And this new life comes with great power to live the life he's called me to live. And so the command over and over to live a worthy life, to live a pleasing life, is not a burden. It's not, it's not a, something heavy put on my shoulders I can't do. It's something God has enabled me to do, we'll see today. And I should step into it with great joy. I can live a life that is worthy of what he's done for me that brings him pleasure. I, I, I hope today, if you don't understand anything I say, if I really confuse you with the way I'm doing this, that's what you walk away with. So let's look at Colossians 1.10. <clears throat> so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This idea of walking in a manner worthy, fully pleasing is all through Paul's writings. I'm just going to read to you five passages. I'm not going to explain them. Just, just to, to, to wash over you this idea of in light of what God has done, here's what, how you live your life now. And again, it's not a burden. It's supposed to be something, oh, I get to do this. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were darkness. <clears throat> this parallels Colossians greatly. At one time you were darkness, but now are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And drop down to verse 10 and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The idea of walking worthy and living pleasing is both a privilege and an opportunity as much as it is an expectation and an obligation. So I don't want to say it's not an obligation. It very much is. But when, when you're, all you are given is an, you have an obligation. You have a duty to do this. Is there not often sometimes, I don't want to do that. You guys remember what my motto is, my sinful motto? Don't tell me what to do. That's sometimes where I go. Don't tell me what to do. I never say that to God. But I think maybe I live it sometimes. 
<clears throat> but it's a privilege, it's an opportunity to live out this new life. Don't see this as, oh, I have to live differently now. What a bummer. But rather, wow, God has given me a new life. And he's empowered me to live it. This is exciting. That's how I want us to see this. So let's look how this new life is described. Right in the middle of verse 10 there, it says, living fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's look at those one at a time. First, this new life is described as a fruitful ministry. Paul says you're bearing fruit in every good work. Something's presumed here. Something's presumed here is when you get this new life, when God wakes you up, opens your eyes to the beauty of his son, and you come to him in faith and you trust him, and he changes your heart, it's called regeneration, he puts his Holy Spirit within you, what's supposed to flow from that right away is a realization, boy, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. My life is supposed to be about you. And guess what your life's supposed to be about? Okay, everyone else, not just me. Um, it's a life of ministry and service. And so this worthy life is bearing fruit in every good work. Here's the problem with our thinking. Because we are very clear in our gospel presentation, I hope we're very clear. For by grace you have been saved through, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of. Oh, so salvation is not a result of works, so works aren't part of my life. But what does verse 10 say? That was Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. What does verse 10 say? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, I'm not saved by good works, but I'm saved for good works. It's that, those little words, by and for, you know, I always say prepositions are the workhorse of language. I am not saved by good works. I mean, that is... No matter what I do, God doesn't say, hey, <clears throat> you earned it. Here's, what you, here's your reward. You earned it. <clears throat> no way. But once he graciously gives me this new life, he says, let me tell you why I gave you a new life. Because I've created you to go and do good works. And this new life we have, if we understand who Christ is and what he's done, we will bear fruit in every good work. That's a promise from God. We put our hand to the plow and we serve one another. By the way, good works are not, don't think good works are some major thing. You move to some foreign country and you become a missionary, which is wonderful, by the way, if God's calling you to do that. But good works about the people next to you, in front of you, behind you, in your neighborhood, at your jobs, is simply loving them and serving them. That's a good work. So that's the first one. The second thing a new life brings is a closer relationship with God. It says increasing in the knowledge of God. Here's what's so important I want you to understand, and that is that growing in the knowledge of God, thank you, Matthew, very much. Growing in the knowledge of God <clears throat> is not simply information. 
And I've said this many times. I'm an information guy. I love knowledge. And if that's all my pursuit is, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 tells me, knowledge puffs up. That would just make me arrogant. But I can't know my Lord without knowledge. But if I reframe the idea of knowledge of God to relationship with God, the more I know about him, the closer I can walk with him in relationship. So, again, I've said it before, but I want you to rethink what salvation is. Salvation is a relationship with the living God, and specifically through his son, Jesus Christ. So, this new life is described as a fruitful ministry, bearing fruit in every good work, a closer relationship with God, third, an increased power to live the life we are called to. He goes on to say, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Let's think for a moment. I was in the kingdom of darkness. Who runs the kingdom of darkness? Satan does and his minions. We're going to see in chapter 2 that Christ had victory, has victory over them through the cross. So I've been transferred to the, from that kingdom to the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light. And with that comes the spirit of God who lives in me. And with the spirit of God who lives in me, comes the power to do what God has called me to do. God has enabled you to live the life he calls you to live. It's so frustrating when, when I believe as a young Christian, God says, be holy for I am holy. But you really can't. And, and by the way, as I, as I progress to this today, I want you to know, um, and I'll hit it later, but I'm going to hit it now. I firmly believe that sin is not my master. Romans chapter 6, but I'll fight it every day until the day I die, until the day Christ returns. It's the battle we're in because we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world, but I live in this world. So I do not believe in sinlessness in this life, but I believe the power has been given me to fight the good fight. So fruitful ministry a closer relationship with God, an increased power to live the life God has called you to. And lastly, this new life is described as living in a joyous gratitude to our Father who qualified you for this new life. So <clears throat> in your translations, <clears throat> sorry, in your translations at the end of verse 11, it says with joy. And, and that could be translated with that you have for all endurance and patience with joy or we could put it in the next verse. With joy, I'm grateful to God. I don't know if you know this, but the, 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 Paul, when Paul wrote these letters, he wrote continuous words without any spaces between the words, no punctuation, no indentation. If you look at an old Greek manuscript, they're just continual letters that they did it to save space. We've taken them and edited them, put chapters in, put verses in. That wasn't there originally. Put question marks and commas and all these things and turned them into good English. Sometimes I just wonder, where does the sentence start and end? So does joy go with the previous verse or verse 11? Or does it go with chapter 12 or verse 12? I say, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So let's walk backwards on that. How do you get into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light? There's a qualification. Do you know what the qualification is? Righteousness. So on your own, how much righteousness do you have? Yeah, zippo. 
But God qualified you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says this. He who knew no sin, talking about Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin became sin, my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. There was a transfer. When he transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of light, behind that was another transfer. He first transferred my sin to Jesus. Then he transferred Jesus' righteousness to me and qualified you and I to be part of his kingdom. It's entirely his work. And, and this, this is one of those things, maybe you've heard it so many times, it's kind of, oh, I've heard that before. But it should blow us away. God, who existed from eternity, the son of God, Philippians 2 describes this. Though he existed in the form of God forever, humbled himself and took on the form of man, became human. And not just humbled himself to become human, he, he, he descended into a family that was poor. Jesus' family was poor. They weren't real wealthy. Born in a stable, raised working with his hands as a carpenter, and eventually, eventually brutally beaten to death and hung on the cross. Brutally, brutally beaten and then died on a cross. That's the lowest form you could go of humbling yourself. From glory to death on a cross. Which is what we deserved. And he did that so he could take you back to glory. And make you like him. God did that. And we were passive in it. We were passive until... He knocked on your heart and said, have you considered my son? And we talked about last week, who, did you, who do you say that Jesus is? And once we grasp this is the son of God, I run to him. And I repent of my sins. I grab a hold of him in faith and say, save me, Lord Jesus. And this entire new life is flooded into my heart and mind. And now I have a new purpose this new purpose in new life brings a fruitful ministry. It brings a closer relationship with God. The more I grow in understanding his word and the more I grow with you, I grow closer to him. I'm reminded of this increased power in my life to live the life he gave me. And what flows is a joyful gratitude. So when, when children want something and you hand it to them and they just walk away with it, you say, what do you say? First of all, when they want something, what do you say? Please. Then you give it to them and then they walk away. And you say, oh, oh, what do you say? Thank you. That, that, that's duty. I have to say a word to get it and repeat another word to pretend like I'm thankful. And we pick on children, but we all do it. Um, this is a joyful gratitude. This is understanding a realization what God has made me to be in the new family he's put me in. And what should flow from me is his joy and giving thanks. At the heart of Christianity is gratitude. Truly, it's being grateful. We get to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We'll talk more about that inheritance in chapter 3. So now I want to I finish this with the, words we, the verses we started with. The foundation for this new life is understand the tectonic shift. Oh, in your, in your identity. 
See, that's Paul. Paul made a mistake there. So um, understand tectonic shift in your new identity. I use the word tectonic shift because of, of, you know, if you've lived in Nevada long, you know, we're prone to earthquakes. If you're from California, they're prone to really big ones. And a tectonic shift is two plates that shift and can change the whole landscape. So it gets a big one. That's destruction. This is, this is creation, actually. This tectonic shift has made something new in your life and utterly new. So here's what I want you to understand. I've said it once, but I'll, I'll finish the sermon with this. And that is... Ephesians 2 talks about this. Many places talk about this. Before God opened my eyes to the beauty and majesty of his son, I belonged to the kingdom of darkness that was run by Satan. Satan has many minions out there that are constantly messing with us and we don't even know it. I was a slave to that. It wasn't a choice I made. I was born into it. And then he took me out of it and transferred me wholesale to another kingdom. In the terminology of you've been born again, the terminology of you're a new creation in Christ, all this terminology. In fact, um, I'm going to make a video that will come out Wednesday to, to further develop what, the New Testament teaching on this idea of a change of kingdom. And I have about 120 of you in a, in a group that I'm sending emails to. A bunch of you signed up last week. If you want to be part of this email video distribution, just get the comment card in front of you, put your email on it and say add me to the list and I'll add you this week. So, but I'm going to make a video to describe more what this looks like of this change of kingdom. But I can't say it enough. God did not call me to live a worthy and pleasing life, but not give me the ability to do it. He did. But it is a battle. The kingdom of darkness, I used to be, I used to live in it, and I was a citizen of it. I've now been taken into the kingdom of the beloved son. It's a whole new identity. But guess where I live my day all day long? In the kingdom of darkness still. God left us here. Why did he leave us here? Why did he leave us here? To share the good news, which requires us to have a fruitful ministry, a closer relationship with him, understand the power we have, and be grateful so as I, a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, but still left in during this life in this kingdom of darkness in order to bring light to it. It is a battle all day, every day. And we have to raise our awareness of it. And there's two aspects to our identity here that you need to keep in mind in order to be fruitful in the kingdom of darkness as you bring the light of Jesus to it is the words in verse 14, in whom, that is the Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. Redemption is the idea of someone owns you. You were a slave. This, this word comes out of the, the slave world. You were owned by somebody. Someone else comes along and pays the price to redeem you and makes you their own. So we went from being slaves in the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness that's run by the devil, been transferred, redeemed through the blood of Christ. We're taking communion in a few minutes to this new family that he paid the price. I, I didn't have the money to pay. 
And I don't, I don't want, I want to, I think today we realize this. Some of you in this room and many people in our world have student loan debts that are out of this world, are they not? That you go, will I ever pay them back? I'm not going to get into the government program here. But if someone comes along and actually pays off all of your debt, what's it feel like? Like the weight on your shoulder is just lifted. So you're going through life bound in chains, looking down, because that's, that's what your sin has pulled you to. But he's redeemed you out of that, and he's broken the chains. He's allowed you to stand up and look at him and say, I'm free now to live in this new life because of forgiveness. Whatever weight you had from your choices, from other people's choices against you and how you responded to them, um, that slate has been wiped clean. We have struggled with forgiveness on this level, forgiving each other. Do we not? But we can't transfer that struggle of forgiving each other to the fact that God forgives us. And it describes as wiping the slate clean. He has cleansed you. Um, you stand before him with the righteousness of his son. That is required. Because guess what? As you live your life each day, as this new understanding permeates your thinking that I'm a child of God. I belong to a different kingdom now. I'm empowered by the spirit of God. I, I have an opportunity to live worthy and pleasing to God. Satan's going to come along and say, Matthew, are you fooling yourself? Do you know you're a loser, Matthew? Matthew's my, my best friend, so I can pick on him. He's going to speak to you the lies he's been telling you your whole life. Your sins, he'll remind you of them. And there was one comedian, I remember him saying, when Satan comes and reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. <laughs> because he's defeated and we have the victory. So don't believe those lies that he whispers at you that may have been true before you came to Christ. But now you're a new creature. This is the kingdom of the beloved son we now live in. And with that, I want to make application to communion. But let me just stop and pray now and ask God to drill this into our hearts and minds. So, Father, a, a lot in this passage, Lord, to think through, to, to filter through my thinking, to renew my mind on. And Lord, so whatever lies we may believe about who Christ is and what he's done on the cross for us, help in the weeks ahead to, to purge those lies out, to find out truth from your word. And Lord, whoever, whoever I think I am, if I think I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven, yes, Lord, but, but I'm still a slave, oh God, help me get rid of that thinking to understand that, yes, the battle will continue every day. Father, but you've enabled us by this new identity, this kingdom transfer and the power through the spirit to fight the good fight. We want to say with Paul on our last day that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. All because of what you have done, not what we have done, Father. And it amazes me, Lord, it amazes me that, that we can actually do things that pleases you. Oh, help us to get rid of any lies that we may have been taught or somehow just naturally believe that you're, you're always unhappy with us, you're always waiting to, to punish us. To replace that belief, Lord, with a father 
who is pleased with his children, pleased to save us, to change us, and to empower us to live a life that actually puts a smile on your face. I can't believe I get to do that, Father. And now we want to shift to remembering what Jesus has done for us. So thank you for this opportunity for this communion. In Christ's name, amen.